Let's take it to the edge. Let's get the flitting. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Let's talk about the night perspective. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland. I'm here with your co-host Kyle Daly, and welcome to episode number 015 of The Knife Perspective. Tonight, it's Deep Cuts with David Moore. How you doing tonight, Kyle? Doing pretty good. Finally got the boys to sleep and ready to rock out and talk with uh, an awesome guy we met on Instagram. How are you doing? I am, uh, you know, I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm supposed to get on a plane for uh, Blade Show West in about four and a half hours. Uh, and I've, you know, as soon as we wrap this up, I'll have plenty of time to pack, I'm sure. Yeah. Make sure you get those blades all packaged up. Oh, it's a trap. All right. Um, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I did get so, almost, uh, I did get almost packed and uh, I shipped half the knives ahead of time and I've put in half of my checked bag. Okay. And I was almost packed and Beth said, um, uh, where are you going to put that big box of knives? I had a really awkward moment where I had to go get a bigger bag and something about maybe I wasn't right and should have listened to my wife. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so uh, do you have quite a few to take to the Blade Show West? Um, I'm going to take uh, – I think I'm taking about 50 knives. That's uh, that's quite a few. Yeah. Uh, well, I usually take – I take between 70 and – I take about 75, 85 knives to, to Blade Show East, a little lighter load. That is a ton of knives. I took fifty fifty five last year, and that was the the most knives I've ever made at one time. Pretty much every year, Blade Show becomes the most knives I've ever made. Yeah, I've uh, I've come to the conclusion I'm not going to make that many for next year, but we'll shall we shall see. You know, especially with especially with it being your part time gig and having two young kids and a family, hmm. at some point you have to start doing the calculations of is an extra three knives worth not having dinner with the family tonight. Well, I always have dinner with the family. It's, uh, do I get to sleep tonight? Yeah. <laughs> so. Is the extra three knives worth having uh, sleep dep deprivation and driving off the road? Yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. So uh, we got our sponsors tonight, yep. Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. And uh, those are good uh, no, knives no, 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 for no, all no, your no, knife no. needs. You know the deal. If you're going to do the pitch, you got to use the – you got to use the radio voice. You got uh, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives for all your knife needs. There you go. Good job. Better. <laughs> and we have our uh, our dealers, Old Town Cutlery. You can find great Dogwood and Cage Daily Knives there at Old Town Cutlery. And uh, Lee has the challenge out if you can misspell his. Uh, their name and it not get not redirect you to Old Town Cutlery, uh, you'll get you get some sort of surprise, and uh, and you can find Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center also. And uh, Old Town is running a special. Let's see when this airs. Yeah, they'll be running a special. They're doing a doing a couple of deals to get ready for Christmas. So if you want to get ahead of the rush or you've had an eye on something, 
this is a, a perfect time to go in there and get a deal because yeah. they they very rarely do sales. They're, they move stuff so quickly that you very rarely see anything going on. So this is a good chance. Yeah, I know for some of the, the products, they were giving away free shirts and stuff with it too. I bought a bought a couple shirts with my last order, so been rocking those every uh, every so often. Yeah, I've got the uh, never a dull moment and the the knife geek shirt. Yeah, those are cool. You got a shout out uh, for a product that you just finally got around to buying? Well, I've I've actually had it for a little while, um, but yeah, I I really can't justify why I haven't had a, a tool stand for my my. Uh, portable bandsaw, but I realized I needed one. I had some, some nested cuts that I needed to make. And I got one of the swag, um, portable bandsaw stands. Uh, a lot of guys make these themselves, but for me, I could take half a day to make a stand or I could make knives for half a day. And it was worth 130 bucks to get this and everything fits perfectly. They've got a really cool drill pattern so no matter what bandsaw you have it's i think two screws and it's ready to go i had the whole thing set up in maybe five minutes and it is rock solid yep and really it takes yeah, yeah it's a great stand i've got i've got a swag one also yeah it takes very little space it's been really solid i'm i'm very pleased with it i think i got mine on a black friday sale quite a few years ago and i think it was under a hundred bucks that's a great deal yeah they did like a uh instagram like guess thing yeah. and it was how how many how many thousands of pounds of steel they ship from selling on black friday their black friday sales yeah and i want to say it was like it was in the hundreds of thousands of pounds i can believe it <laughs> I was like, can't even imagine. You know, and I really, the biggest reason I broke down and got it was I had a client bring in a bar of uh, Dragon Scale Damascus. Mm. And I just could not, you know, the, when I grind out the handle, you know, a lot of that steel just gets turned to dust. It's just gone. Yep. And I could not in good conscience turn that much of that steel into dust. So I got the stand so I could cut it out. And then, Nice. Once I got the stand, I started using it, and now I can nest the handles on my chef's knives, and I'm saving mm -hmm. eight to sixteen inches of steel on every bar now. Yeah, awesome. All right, what what bandsaw are you using in that? Is uh, it a Milwaukee or Milwaukee? Okay. And the other thing that I that I like about the portable bandsaw, some of the guys I know have some of the big industrial grade metal cutting bandsaws. Mm -hmm. And one of them was talking about using his port of cable. And I said, you know, why? You've got this saw. And he said, do you know how much it costs me when I bend a tooth on one of those saw blades versus how much it costs me when I bend a tooth on my uh, port of cable? And that was kind of the aha moment for me to rather than keep saving up for a big heavy-duty bandsaw because mm -hmm. I'm not doing a lot of precision cuts, that yeah. using the portable was way more cost-effective. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. You got any more to say about the, the swag stand? You know, I, I feel like I've, I've covered all the high and low points. All righty. So would you like to talk about something now? Yeah, I got a got a knife in the mail. It finally broke down and got one of the uh, Doug Ritter RSK Mark I G2s made by Hogue. 
It's my my first Hoke knife, and uh, unfortunately, this one isn't carried by Old Town. It's a uh, Knife Works exclusive, but uh, enjoy talking with Doug, and I've been wanting to get one of the the Ritter Griptilians for a long time, and when Benchmade stopped making them in 2016, I just could never bring myself to paying that much, and finally got around to buying one. It's in 20 CV. It's the full size, so it's like three and a half inches. You got a really cool starburst pattern, and uh, it's got what they call the ABLE lock, which is stands for ambidextrous bar lock enhanced. It's uh, pretty much the same as the Axis lock. I really like the the G10; gives it a lot better feel than the the uh, nylon handle of the Griptilian, and comes standard with a deep pocket clip. I've been carrying it for about a little over a week now, and I really like it. One of the sharpest knives I've ever gotten right out of the box of any production knife I've ever had. How's the edge retention been? I mean, I haven't really used it that hard. I cut I cut some apples, um, cut through some foam on a on a chair at work, and that uh, <laughs> we were getting ready for a seat bowl. Uh, but <laughs> I haven't. I feel like there's a there's a backstory to that. <laughs> No, we just have to, in order for us to, where we have to attach to pull on the seat, we have to cut through a whole bunch of the foam. So cut through a bunch of that. It, no shocker there. It did that superbly. But uh, yeah, the 20 CV, I'm liking it so far, but I haven't really put it through any any real hard use stuff. Yeah, the handle's super comfortable and um, the the shape of the Ritter Griptilians has always been a little bit different. The the top kind of drops a little bit more and has a little bit more belly, I think, than the the Griptilians. But really like it. There's the the blade stonewashed and that gives it a nice texture. Yeah, I uh, I've started doing stonewash on like the house line kitchen knives, mm-hmm. and I like that it gives a little depth and a little texture. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the production side, it's a, a really cost-effective way to to get a really good finish. Yeah, and they're made in the USA, so can't do bad with that. Now, um, and you said uh, it's G10 for the handles? Yeah. Yeah, instead of the, like, nylon composite that was on the Griptilian before. So it's uh, pretty nice and grippy. I do need to – it's kind of got the, like, dry G10 – look down in the sunburst which i'm not extremely happy with but uh luckily i know the trick of spraying a little wd-40 on there it makes it go right away so yeah i'm gonna gonna have to spray the g10 with some wd-40 uh furniture uh paste wax works well too no that johnson's paste paste wax stuff yeah and you can use that to kind of buff it up and give it a little sheen too well maybe i'll do that uh also if you put uh that uh, furniture wax, little-known tip that uh, I believe I got from Aux Manufacturing on Instagram, uh, Auxiliary Manufacturing. If you put that paste wax on your C-clamps when you glue up the stuff before they get all covered in epoxy to begin with, yep. uh, the epoxy doesn't stick to it and it comes off real easily. Um, Makes your C-clamps last a little longer. Uh, I also use it on my uh, table saw table. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll buff that ta- I'll buff the table out and I'll wax it. And not only does it give it some corrosion protection, but it helps things just slide across it. Yep. And I'll I'll do the same thing on my drill press tables too. Yep. I do that on my bandsaw also. Yep. So Johnson's Space furniture waxed more for <laughs> just furniture. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the thing I 
dislike about the uh, Johnson's furniture wax, though, is I always seem to knock the the metal can off the side of wherever I'm working and then puts a big dent in it. And then I try to bend it back so I can get the lid to go back in it. It's the only the only downside that I found on that one. Um, just, I mean, this is just out of, we're just brainstorming here. No wrong ideas. But have you ever considered moving the can off of what you're working on? <laughs> yeah. I, I had a feeling you were going to say, how about you not do that? Yeah, it's just a suggestion. Again, there's no wrong ideas. We're brainstorming here. We're just going to see what we can come up with. Yeah. I also want to give a little shout out to uh, Casting Kings. Uh, They, I get a lot of my hybrid from them, and they do some really phenomenal, uh, both stabilized materials and the the hybrid stabilized materials. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things I like about working with their stuff is the density is really consistent. So when you're shaping and sanding, you won't hit a soft spot and then just have it run away and gouge. Yeah. Uh, and they do some really cool color combinations. Yep. Very cool. Matter of fact, several of the knives I'll have on the on the table at, at Blade in a few days will be uh, Casting King's handles. Yep. Very cool. All right. Ready for the intro? Yeah. Let's, uh, enter- let's introduce our interviewee. You mean the king of cut, the sultan of slice? The Big Daddy Chopmaster himself, David Moore, this year's international blade sports champion. <laughs> uh, I'm working at it, so uh, don't <laughs> don't jinx me. Don't jinx me. I'm practicing real hard. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Donovan's going to be put, hard to beat. Once they put pops on your chest, you had it made. Oh man, that's that's been great. I have been blessed to be sponsored by Pops. It has, it's been great getting to know those guys, hanging out with them at the Georgia Knife Makers Guild over there. That was awesome. Awesome experience. Also hanging out with Dan over there, too. Thank you very much. From Dogwood Custom Knives. <laughs> that was a good meeting with some really amazing people. Very cool. So where'd you grow up, David? Muscle Shoals, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent most of my days. <laughs> hey, I, I, I worked that from some of y'all's uh, shows. But um, now Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where I was uh, grew up, a lot of music here. So I grew up playing music. And yeah, uh, what what part of Alabama was that? Northwest corner. Okay, I don't know why I thought it was down in the coast. Northwest corner. Mm-hmm. Now there's uh, four towns here: Florence. Muscle Shoals, Sheffield, and Tuscumbia all together. And a huge music scene. Huge music scene. Got to play with some a lot of people. Grew up musically in this town with a lot of people. My my baseball team growing up was sponsored by Fame Recording Studio. Oh. We recorded Aretha Franklin and Percy Sledge, When a Man Loves a Woman. So yeah. um, a lot of music come out of here. Very cool. You'll have to tell my dad about about that. He loves going to Nashville and New Orleans a couple times, uh, listening to music. So I'd have to tell him to check out over there. There's actually a really cool documentary, Muscle Shoals. Um, you could find it on Netflix, but I'm not sure anymore. But it very good documentary kind of telling what all happened here musically. Uh, we'll have our staff find that um, find that documentary and put the link in the show notes for you. By your staff, you mean me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was your first knife, David? My first knife was an Imperial Fish King pocket knife. 
two blade toothpick design. Yeah, with one of them was a a scaler, and one was yes. almost like a fillet blade shape. Yes, and it was it was so dull, <laughs> and uh, that was my first pocket knife. And yes, I lost it. <laughs> of course, I mean if you're a kid with a knife. The only reason I still have mine is I lost it for years and years and years and years and years and years and, years and then found it once I was irresponsible. Okay. When I was older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to get another one just so I'll have one like it so I can pass it on and my son can lose it. My dad had a yellow one and I absolutely coveted that knife because um, we would go fishing and he'd pull it out and use the – give me the scaling blade. When I was even too young to be trusted with a decent edge, I could use the scaler and I'd scale the fish. Yep. I, I love that knife. It's got that kind of layol shape to it with the, the curvature. It's a just a beautiful knife. Definitely not one you'll ever forget as a kid because as a kid, I remember that was huge, huge knife. Oh, yeah. It's, what, about a three-and-a-half-inch blade so and a tiny kid hand. Yeah. It's like a small sword. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it had a bottle opener on it. The uh, the base of the scaling blade was also a bottle opener. I forgot that. Yes, it was. Of course, I didn't know what that was at that time. But <laughs> Did you, Dan? Uh, <laughs> I didn't at that time, but as we talked about that I had always coveted my dad's, I found one at a um, – yeah, it was um, like an antique – kind of antique junk store, and they had the box of knives up front. It was like $2 a knife. And I was digging through that, and it was, uh, again, it was a ray of golden sunlight. Like, I was digging through this box, and there was a, an Imperial. And I was like, all right, be cool, be cool. $2. I guess I can pay $2 for this. And then when I got outside and was giggly and started playing with all the with the two blades, I was like, hey, that's a bottle opener. <laughs> nice. I fortunately knew what a bottle opener was when I was a little kid, but only because of IBC root beer. That was one of my one of my favorite treat beverages when I was a little kid. Loved me some IBC root beer. That's a solid root beer. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had Sprecher root beer? It's from uh, Milwaukee up here. They sell it at Menards of all places, like around the United States. I have not. They use honey to sweeten it. That's pretty pretty tasty. I will check it out because I am somewhat of a connoisseur of root beer. Yeah, if you go to about all we can get here. If you go to any Menards, they have they carry pretty much the entire uh, line of sodas from Sprecher. It's a small smaller brewery up in Milwaukee that they they made their first batch of stouts and German beer and stuff, and they're like, all right, now it needs to kind of sit for a month. Uh, What do we do? And the guy was like, uh, how about we make some soda? <laughs> and it, their, their root beer outsells all of the other beer and soda. And this was a few years ago. They said two to one. Wow. So, yeah, wow. pretty good root beer. Yeah, and I'm particular. I, uh, I like ginger beer, but not ginger ale. I like root beer, but not birch, but not birch <laughs> beer. I don't know if I've ever had birch beer. Um, I've never heard of birch beer. It is so you know root beer was made, if I remember correctly, originally with the the roots of a sassafras, okay. and birch beer was was used for um, was birch bark, kind of like birch tea, distinctly different flavor, and I just I can't get behind it. That might it might be more of a southeastern thing. Chip mm. from Alabama, David. How wait, you've never heard of this? Oh, I've heard of root beer. Yes. Uh-huh. 
yeah, but not birch beer. beer. Drink root beer. Never heard of birch beer. Mm. When I was growing up, I remember drinking sassafras tea a whole bunch, and then uh, then they said it like gives you cancer or something. So everything <laughs> gives you cancer. Stop. They stopped selling that everywhere. Yeah, I drank that a lot growing up too. Sassafras tea. Do they sell it anymore around you? I haven't seen it in forever. I haven't seen it in a long time. I've never seen when I when I drank it. My grandmother would get the sassafras roots and actually cut off the waxy part of the roots and make the tea from the roots. I remember I remember drinking tea sassafras tea like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I I did I had never seen it commercially available. It was always one of those things we made when we went camping. Finally learned to strain it. If you don't strain it, it's really bitter. Uh and it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure that out. We always got it at different restaurants around by around by us in southern Indiana. All right, David. Cool. I think we've uh, sidetracked enough on that one. Yep. So <laughs> you've listened to the podcast before. You know about the, the Dan Kyle scale on meeting your wife. Yes. I, I, I'm going to have to ask, how did you meet your wife, and where do you think that falls on the Dan Kyle scale? Um, I met my wife at a divorce care class. So I would probably say I'm closer to Dan on that scale. Yeah. But, I think you and Lee are right there, right on top of each other. I'm just guessing. At yes. Point. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm like, oh, man. You know, I, when I was listening to the podcast and listening to this question, I'm. You're like, oh, <laughs> she's single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, no, I was in that door, divorce care class and uh, she was in there. And, and I, of course, just went through divorce and trying to get the nerve up to ask, ask her out and stuff. And. After a couple of classes, you know, I was going to ask her out that class. She said, yeah, I'm not going to date for a year in that class. So I was just <laughs> like, oh, man. But thank goodness she didn't keep to her word. So we started dating not too long after that. You know, I think I would have I would have flavored that more with I made such an impression on her that she was willing to give up this commitment to to date me. And that, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah, I think that's the way I, I, I think that's the way I heard the story. I think I outkicked my coverage. Yeah, so <laughs> I won't let her get her eyes checked. <laughs> yeah, could have used the "you might be a redneck" uh, pickup line like Lee did. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, yeah, that was funny. That was funny. I, I didn't have any beef jerky or nothing like that. So, uh, <laughs> everybody's got their own technique i mean i used rolling rock some people use beef jerky some people use the internet everybody's got their <laughs> own lure you just got to find mm -hmm. what works for you mm -hmm. yeah have, yeah we went to burger king and got uh two burgers and went down to the river that's nice on our first date that's solid and that's uh sat on a picnic table and talked yeah that kind of kind of makes up for the divorce care class thing a little bit right <laughs> well, and you're both going through a divorce, so <laughs> yeah, Burger King is probably a good option. Yeah, how long have y'all been together? Ninety nine cent menu. <laughs> <laughs> we have been together for nine years. Very cool. Anniversary coming up November the eighteenth. Oof, man, and you remember that ahead of time and everything. Wow, you're gonna make it at least another year. No, I actually, <laughs> I actually wrote that down. <laughs> You're you're exactly one month before uh, my wife and my uh, nine year wedding anniversary. We got oh, that's cool. we got married on December eighteenth. So so you're a woodworker. You work for the county, and 
and you do professional blade sports. How do you balance all of that? Yes. Because you obviously have a family as well. Oh, I do. Between us, we have five kids and seven grandkids. The, uh, they call me Pops, which works really good with being sponsored <laughs> by Pops Knife Supply with the big Pop shirt on it. You know, they, they, uh, I've told them, no, I've got some really good friends that own this company. And they're like, no, that's Pop shirt. So, you know, I really <laughs> haven't got that across yet. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's tough. I work for the City of Muscle Shoals. I do, uh, water treatment. I've been there for almost 28 years. I've done woodworking, owned a cabinet shop or part owner in a cabinet shop for many years. It's, uh, it's tough. It's very tough to balance that. I basically give up the cabinet shop. So spend more time with the family, you know, just kind of, I love an adventure and the blade sports thing. That that's a story that that's a story all in itself. Going back to the family, it's tough. You know, try to I try to spend a lot of time with my family as much as I can, and um, you know, just just enjoy you know baseball with my son, uh, sons, and uh, you know, hanging out with the daughter, and just really really enjoy hanging out with family. But it, it's it's tough. It's definitely a juggling act. Yeah. Any of them have an interest in blade sports yet? Actually, my daughter is uh just turned 14 and she is looking forward to her 18th birthday <laughs> where she can start blade sports um so yeah she she's definitely got an interest and actually she's the one that got me into this uh-uh. so um uh, uh easy, yeah easy we'll get to it but i also teach one night a week at a local community college the water and wastewater so yeah it's definitely a juggle but you know so you've just given up on sleep definitely try to put family first yes yes giving up completely on sleep going back to your daughter uh you should have her follow uh robin lynn barry it's uh big chris on instagram's wife she's been doing a bunch of the the blade sport stuff pretty impressive how uh chopping a bunch of those two by fours and stuff and uh lt's daughter is really competitive too isn't she yes Hmm. yes yes uh um, robin robin barry is very competitive of course you have uh, the ladies from jance they're competitive mm-hmm. in blade sports. You have a uh, Johnny Joe Carruthers from a uh, Carruthers Performance Knife. She's very competitive. So there, there's a, and I'm I know I'm missing some. Chandy uh, Smith. Um, so there's a lot of ladies in this in this sport. A lot of competitive, competitive ladies. Nicole Warden. Yep. She's a what three four time world champion. Yeah, and she's uh, she's Stumpy's wife, right? That's correct. Very cool. That's correct. And everybody's just so personable in this. You know, everybody's just so nice and helpful when you're getting started into it. So Emma's looking Emma's looking really forward into you know to to train. And then my son, I have a younger son, Josiah. He's looking forward to. I was talking on the phone the other day with uh, Gary Bond and. Uh, He's from Waxahachie. He, my first certification training was there in Waxahachie. And uh, Emma told him, 
she wanted him to train her to do the blade sports. I'm like, what am I, chopped liver? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Man, I nice. the best. I've had to learn the hard way that you can't teach your kid anything. That you're going to be an idiot until they're their mid-20s. I've had some of my friends where I'll go over to my friend. I'm like, here, here's what I need for you to tell them, and here's what they need to learn. And then he'll be like, hey, kid, come here. So here's what you want to do. And my kids will be like, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Most amazing thing I've ever heard. I'll do that. Where if I had told them oh, to yeah. do something, they'd be like, hey, you know, Dad, you don't really understand this. Yep. So, but I'm I'm looking forward. I, I think she's going to be a really good cutter. Yeah, I'm looking forward to kind of walking her through that before she can actually professionally compete at 18 or get certified. I think ringer is the term you're looking yeah. for. <laughs> that you're going to have her fully trained and ready to compete the moment she turns 18. <laughs> right. Who's this Cinderella story? This young lady out of nowhere. <laughs> right. So yeah, she she's definitely looking forward. My son, he's a he's a year younger or two years younger than her, 20, 22 months. And so uh, he's looking forward to starting too. But of course, got to wait to 18. So why or how did you get started with knives? Did you, were, did you like them pretty much ever since you got that Imperial Fish King? Or did you kind of get more into them when you started getting older, middle school, high school? Or what, how'd that all work out? I um, spent a lot of time with my grandparents in a small town in south of Muscle Shoals, Lamar County, Sullivan, Vernon area. My uncle collected knives, and he had a drawer in his desk that he kept his knife collection. So um, this was after I got the Imperial, and probably after I'd lost it. <laughs> he used to bribe me to clean his horse stalls, and I get to pick a knife out of his box to keep. So, uh, so I, it, you know, I would look at these knives and stuff and then spend a day, you know, shoveling out these horse stalls for the, he, uh, trained walking and racking horses. So, you know, it, I started collecting knives kind of there. Now picking shred knives and case, little case knives, three blade Congress and, you know, stuff like that. Dagger, a German, like war dagger, World War II dagger. So I really got into knives kind of there younger. I'd say, you know, seven to even on up to 16. Hmm. You know, really got into knives collecting and just loving knives. I I made a knife. You know, I'd, I'd get those uh, old hickory kitchen knives and kind of grind off part of it and put a new blade on it or put a new handles on it and, you know, kind of sharpen it up. That's kind of how I got started with knives at a, at a young age. Got into woodworking, kind of got away from, from making knives. You know, bought a few kits, a few things here and there. But once I got into blade sports, that passion of making knives really came, come back. Very cool. So my favorite knife, we kind of missed that one. I have a razor that my dad gave me. It is from my great-great-grandfather. It is a Dixie Manufacturing Company razor made in Union City, Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And that is probably the coolest knife. Don't don't know what it's worth. I mean, it's priceless to me. And I think uh, he 
the story was that my great great grandfather bought it from a an ad in a magazine or like a postcard or sent money off for it and they shipped it back to him or something like that. That's a solid find. That's definitely one of my one of my favorite knives. Yeah, it's really cool. It's great that you have some good story behind that too. Yeah, I'm trying to find the ad. I need to Google it so I can find the ad and kind of print it out and put it along with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a don't. It's probably not worth much, but I mean, it is to me. It's just an awesome, you know, the history behind it. Very yeah. awesome, and that's what really, that's what matters is the story behind it and what it means to you, right? Because beyond that, it's just a tool. Yeah, I have a couple old uh, slip joints that I don't even think there's any any marks on them i need to see if i can't remember to bring those to blade next year and have lee or uh some of those guys that know a lot more about slip joints see if they can give me any any direction on what they might be my grandfather gave me some of those on my bomb side oh yeah those mean a lot mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right david so you got any nicknames i mean everybody that's in a sport they they wind up with a nickname. I mean, Killer, Slasher, <laughs> The Nick. What you got? So this kind of, this starts, this story starts with my first Blade show that I ever went to. About five years ago, I went to my first Blade show ever. Been wanting to go. Got there. It, Blade, Blade Show Confessions, our new segment. Yeah. <laughs> got there, and it was just like, the world is round moment. I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, my world before this was flat and uh, very overwhelmed, very, you know, drinking from a fire hose moment and uh, found myself in a line over by the uh, CRKT Ruger kind of knives. Ken Onion was doing a, doing a thing over there. Me and my wife kind of walked up right at the last minute and kind of got, you know, two back at the end of the line. They were kind of getting ready to cut it off and got up there and, you know, was just looking at this this new knife, I guess Ken had designed. He just stopped, dead sentence, and said, oh, my gosh, put your hand down here. So, and I've got it on my Instagram where me and Ken's putting our hands side by side. And he's like, I thought I had big hands. So he basically nicknamed me Big Hand Dave. <laughs> so that is a <laughs> – so there's there's pictures. Of course, my wife took pictures. I'm glad you gave us the backstory on that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say, big hands, big gloves. Right, 4X. <laughs> 4X gloves, 4X gloves. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, so my wife took pictures, so you can actually go to my Instagram and actually see that story there about how I was given that, that nickname. And it just kind of, I'm like, cool, you know? So, I mean, it just kind of, kind of stuck. Some friends in Muscle Shoals, they had, they had started calling me Big Hand and, you know, it just kind of, it, it just kind of stuck. It's actually on, uh, Dirt Lutz did my, my pop's knife shirt for the competition and on the back of that shirt it says big hand dave as far as nicknames go that's pretty that's actually a pretty good one mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna have to try to go back at your instagram and pull that one out for the for when we post the podcast i guess before we talk about how you got into blade sports what exactly is blade sports 
Oh, wow. Blade Sports is a Texas nonprofit. Don't you say sports with blades. <laughs> it's a Texas nonprofit corporation. Uh, it was formed to promote knives as tools and to promote knife safety. You know, years ago, before we had the knife rights and that kind of thing, there was a lot of people kind of talking bad about knives. And, you know, it, it was... But we're looking at you, England. Yeah. So it, it was formed to put knives, a positive spin, you know, on knives. And uh, it's actually been around a long time, a lot longer than I actually realized. It's been around a long time. It started with in the ABS. Golly, they started doing competitions like that with, uh, like in the seventies and and eighties, and then wow, yeah. So um, they were actually at the hammer ends, the ABS hammer ends. They were doing a lot of these competitions, but um, as it grew in a uh, two thousand and five, Warren Osborne, some other people, they kind of put together the Blade Sports International. It basically it's just demonstrates safe, practical use and in, in a public forum of how to unite use knives safely, you know, and through a competition, you know, because everybody wants to have the best knife and be able to cut through rope, you know, the most rope and the fastest. So that that's what blade sports is about, training people to be safe and training, you know, cutters to actually compete. And it is a blast. With the added advantage of really cool stuff like chopping through hanging ropes and disemboweling two-by-sixes. Yes, yes. Because I don't care who you are, that stuff's cool. Mm -hmm. Cutting through a two-by-four and three hits with a knife, cutting through a two-by-six and five, I mean, that's that's cool. Free-hanging two-inch rope, yeah. There's a lot of technique to that. A lot of form and technique, but it, it's it's awesome, and it is very cool. If anybody wants to be certified, any anybody can be certified. You just uh, they put together schools. The uh, website that you can find the information on is bladesports.org, and um, you can find the schools to go to to become a certified cutter. You don't you don't even have to have a knife. They have knives at these cutting schools that you can use. And actually, they tell you not to have a knife because if you make one, you would change it two or three different times before, <laughs> you know, you actually, because it, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, what you, what you need as a, as a knife to cut stuff like this. They, there's people there that bring knives, you know, Donovan Phillips, Chris Berry, the Carruthers, they'll, they'll bring knives that people can use. So you don't have to have a knife. Wow. You could just, you know, come to the class, show up. You just got to show up. You have some desire and a willingness to learn. Right. Desire, willingness to learn, safety oriented, and just uh, go through the class and learn. You know, the class, there's a fee for the class, but it's very negligible. You know, of course, it just helps cover the rope because, you know, that's not two-inch vanilla rope. It's not cheap. You know, helps cover the two by fours and the water bottles and stuff like that. Then, you know, after you come become a cutter, get certified, you know, you can still borrow people's knives, you know, or if you want your own, there's places that you can go and, you know, buy a knife. There are like Donovan Phillips, Chris Berry, LT Wright, 
Carruthers Performance, Stovall Custom Knives, Anthony Stovall. There's a lot of people that make these knives that you can buy. And, you know, depending on the steel, you know, some of them can be expensive or some of them can be, you know, rather inexpensive. You know, the A2 steel or you get on up to the Super Steels, you know, 4V, M4. So those get get a little bit more expensive. There's events all over the United States. I just got back from one in Bastrop, Texas. That was an awesome time. Met a lot of awesome people out there. Pigeon Forge about a month ago. I just had one in Sevierville a couple of weeks ago. So there's a lot of places. Just go to the website and check it out. So how does how does a blade sport event work? Um, I mean, like the obvious answer is you cut and chop stuff, but short of you, you know, we see the ninety second video of somebody going through the course. But what's okay? I mean, it, so it's a timed event, but how's it scored? What are you expected to do? It's a it's like I say it's a timed event. What they do, they take um, they take your average time, they add a hundred to it, and then they minus. The cut points. So each each individual cut has points associated with it. And every every event that you go to, the course will be different. So, you know, one event you may have two by sixes and two by fours you cut. One event it may just be two by fours. So they assign a point value based upon difficulty to that cut in that event. So like this past weekend you know, we had, uh, the, of course, the two by four is usually a 10 point cut and it starts out the event and then you'll move to another cut walking. One foot has to always be on the ground because of safety. Uh, the ropes are usually five points. The water bottles are one point a piece. Usually put 10, 15 water bottles in a row. So every however many you cut. And there's specifications on the cut. So on the water bottles, they have to be between the bottom cap and there. there's a uh, line around the bottom of the water bottle. So it has to cut between there. Um, the cardboard tubes, you see people cutting rings off of those. It's one point for each ring that you can get off that cardboard tube. So if you can cut 10 points really quick or 10 rings, you can get 10 points really fast. So they're in that time. Yeah. Yeah. So if say you're just to pull a random number, your time through the course was two minutes. They'll add a hundred to that and make it a hundred two. Is that correct? Well, actually it, they'll do it like in seconds. So if you were 120, okay. 120 seconds, they'll add a hundred. So it'll be two twenty, and then they'll minus off, minus off the point for every successful for every cut successful you make. Cut. Correct. And then it becomes like a, a race or a golf game where you're you're trying to have the lowest possible score. That's correct. That's correct. And it becomes a balance act between speed through the course and precision of cuts. That's correct. Being able to go through the course fast and still make precise cuts. And for the knife, obviously there's very specific requirements for the knife. It's not – I just can't show up with my Rambo Bowie knife and – go through the course so what is a blade sports knife it's a 15 inch knife with a 10 inch blade and i'm pulling it up right here no more than 10 inches right it's like a max overall length the overall blade length is 10 inch yeah that's the max 
the overall length of the knife is 15 inches. That's measured from the back of the handle to the blade tip. The blade length is measured from the front of the handle to the blade tip. The blade width, two inches at the widest part of the blade. And uh, the blade handle in thickness, there's no restrictions. So that's the maximum knife specifications there for the knife. And all knives have to right. be have to be tested. So it's it's good. Like I'm I'm making knives, but I'm not making my competition cutters yet. I started using Donovan Phillips knife, so I would know that that knife is tested. You know, it's made by a certified person in blade sports, and so I know it's a competition ready knife. And they check the knives and inspect the knives before the before the the cut, you know, to make sure that they're safe. And they use a Ford lanyard tube on those, yes, don't they? Yes, that's called the Warren Osborne lanyard tube. It's an Osborne safety lanyard. And that, it actually keeps that knife right in your hand. I always liked not only the, the way it holds in your hand, but you know, if through some crazy situation it does come out of your hand, having the lanyard tube at the back of a, especially a large knife, in my mind just means it's going to pendulum back into you. Right, it's gonna swing around. Yeah, so so having that lanyard hole or tube up front, apart from being able to roll your hand and and lock that lanyard in, I I always felt more comfortable with it. That if it got out of my hand, it wasn't gonna come back at me. Right, with that large knife, you know, that, it just locks it. It locks it right in your hand. Very, like I say, this is very safety oriented. What do you look for in a competition knife? Um, um, I look for like. Do you like balanced forward, balanced to the hand? Do you like a, a a flat grind coming all the way up to the spine? Do you like a convex grind? Um, I like a does it just depend flat grind with a convex edge. I like um the balance to be about two to two and a half inches from the handle out. So a little bit forward. Yeah, a little bit forward. I think I'm using about a 28-ounce knife. I've used a two-pound knife. That's a little bit little bit heavy. It's good for the boards, but for the finesse cuts and the speed cuts, it's a little bit it's a little bit heavy. So it's a, it's a balancing act. About that, mm-hmm. that weight forward, about two inches, and then about a 28 to 30-ounce blade. Do you usually go with a, a full height grind? Yes. And I noticed... Uh, a lot of the competition knives have a – there's no drop at the tip. They seem to be very squared, almost like a um, a cleaver shape. Yes. And is that to is that to get as much mass in that blade as you can given the the, the length? Get, get as much weight on that end. Yeah, get as much mass in that blade and weight on that end. That, that's what I think. Of course, you know, I haven't been making the competition cutters very long. And actually, I'm still using one from Donovan. So, on the the events, there's no like piercing cuts. It's all chopping, right? That's correct. So you wouldn't wouldn't need a pointy pointy blade. You wouldn't need a pointy blade. There's no piercing. Like I say, it's all about using a knife as a tool. Every cut that we do is, uh, you know, represents using a knife as a tool. You know, a chopping type motion either a finesse type cut or the heavy, you know, power cuts. 
how did you get started in blade sports? Uh, that's, that's a long story. So, um, I took my daughter to blade show one year and she was just, wow. You know, so it was me and my wife and my daughter, my youngest son didn't go. We had, uh, we'd went outside and watched the balazong knives, the butterfly knife competition outside. Cause there was, you know, a lot of younger guys and I thought she would like that and get a kick out of that. And so we had went back in and was fixing to leave late show and actually go to the mall, do shopping, you know, whatever was coming back out. We saw the blade sports. We saw Donovan, big Chris and them getting set up and ready to do that. And so we actually went to the hotel and checked out of our hotel and was going to leave. And my daughter's like, dad, I want to go back and see that before we leave. And I'm like, well, you know, we've already, we've already gone. So, uh, we actually went back over there and I said, okay, but we're just going to watch one. We ended up watching two or three and she looked at me and she said, dad, you can do that. And so, uh, no pressure. That was yeah, no pressure. That was a that was two years ago. I've I've only been doing blade sports for two. This is the start of my second full year doing blade sports. Oh wow! Yeah. So that was two years ago, and my knife world just got turned upside down yet again. I was just like, wow. So right after blade show, I went to the uh, Warren Osborne Cutting School in Waxahachie. I got to uh, to meet the guys. And actually spent a whole Saturday in a training, learning how to do that. Did the competition Sunday and placed first in the white division, which is the rookie division, that Sunday competition. And, man, just fell in love with it. And, you know, started talking to the guys. And I sure, I'm, I'm sure that I wore them out, you know, just asking them questions and talked to Donovan Phillips about making me a knife. Anthony Stovall, I met him at that competition. I hadn't met him before. He's actually from the Shoals area. He's from the Florence Killing area, which is right by Muscle Shoals. And uh, we pulled up to that class to train and Anthony got out and he grew up in the same neighborhood as my wife. And she's like, Anthony. And so that was kind of a, I met him, become real good friends with him there. So that was kind of a small world kind of thing. So then kind of fast forward, I went through that season and did really good in that blade show, that first season with blade sports and, uh, at nationals, I placed third in the U S and was able to go to blade show and compete in the world championships. So my, my world just was, you know, rocked my first year doing blade sports. I went to compete blade show as, you know, uh, in the world championships. And I was able to, uh, to place fifth in the world championships at blade show, you know, for real, for real moment. It's been, a it's been an awesome ride kind of, you know, talked to the guys from pops, met them. They wanted to, to say, taking over Pops, they wanted to, to sponsor a Blade Show person. And uh, me being a new knife maker, it just it just fit. It just really fit. And uh, so coming out of 
you know, placing fifth in the world, starting my second full year blade show, you know, I've got Pops Knife Supply and a, a local hardware store here. Discount Dan's picked me up and sponsored me for this next this next year. And it is it has been a wild, wild ride. Does one need a, a sponsor to get to really be competitive? I mean, is that uh is it like NASCAR where you need sponsors to, to be able to, to compete? No, you don't need sponsors to be able to compete. You know, sponsors sponsors help with kind of the cost uh, associated with that. Um, you've got to make three cuts a year or three events a year in order to to go to the nationals and to compete in the national competition. And then you've got to place in the top 10 in the national competition in order to go to blade show and compete in the world competition. Um, the sponsors really help with, you know, kind of help with the cost of that. And you don't, you don't have to have one to do that. It helps, but you don't have to have one as long as you can afford it. Yeah. As long as you afford it and stay in an economy hotels, <laughs> sleep in your car. Yeah. Right. Stay in economy hotels. And, you know, there, there's there's some cuts that hopefully be close, you know, they'll be close to you that you can go to and uh, not too far away. I think, um, you know, Pigeon Forge is about five hours for me. You know, that that's that's about the average for me is about a five hour. When I go to Waxahachie or uh, you know, Dallas, that's about a 10 hour. So. I actually flew wow. to Bastrop for this cut this past weekend, or I flew to Dallas and then drove with the Anthony Stovall to Bastrop for that cut. Uh, when, so, when you fly, do you do you put your blade in your checked bag? I do, I do. I have a. Uh, How nervous are you until you get the baggage claim and get your bag back and make sure it's there? Oh, this is the first time <laughs> I flew with flew with my blades, and so uh, I had shipped them. Every time that I'd flew, I'd, you know, went ahead and shipped them through the mail to a friend so they would be there. And so I decided I'm going to get me a hard case and, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to fly with them, check them and fly with them. And so, um, went out of Memphis, landed in Love Field, you know, I packed them all really good. I got one of those TSA approved locks, you know, and, and put on it, I'm hurrying down to the baggage claim to get my baggage. So I'm sitting there. So the bags start coming through. My suitcase comes through and my knife box doesn't come through. So I'm sitting there watching <laughs> and I've got like two competition cutters and some knives to take and trade. And I've got a lot of knives in this box. You're puckering tighter and tighter and tighter. <laughs> yes. And so eventually all the bags come through and I see a bag that had made it all the way around. It come through and I'm thinking, okay. So, uh, I was sitting there waiting patiently and I'm just kind of, I'm getting real anxious. So then, then it just stopped. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I'm like looking for people. And about that time, a guy come out of the back door that said, you know, employees only carried my bag carrying my knife box and walked it to the, <laughs> to the, uh, to the little desk there. And they said, they said, David Moore, come to the desk to claim your baggage. And I'm like, Oh, 
I'm like, oh, I, I had no clue, you know. So I went and claimed my baggage. And she said, is this a gun? I said, no, ma'am. She said, oh, well, usually if it's a gun, you know, they bring it up here and they claim it. So I was like, awesome. I'll, I'll know that know that next time. So, yeah, for there for a split second, I was I was really, really nervous. Yeah, I know that some of the, the high-end folder guys for Blade Show and, like, California Custom Knife Show and stuff, when they go to places, they'll actually put in a unloaded handgun and declare the gun, and all the knives just go for the ride to have the extra people there. That's a great idea. When I've got to check mine, I uh, I put the sheaths in a separate bag. So if you're going to disappear one of my sheath knives... You have to stick it in your pocket without a sheath, and if you're willing to do that, you can have it. <laughs> yeah. How often do you uh, train for the cuts? Do you have a have you kind of built a rig in your backyard or something? I've seen some of the the competitive guys do, or do you mainly do just some some smaller stuff? I've built a a multi table in my backyard. I have it in my wood shop and roll it out and roll it back in i've got a the two by four cut i've got a vertical two by four cut i've got the the balls we'll roll the the tennis ball and the golf ball the straws i have a to cut the straws that's actually believe it or not where, where do you get those uh the straws just walmart dollar general yeah they're just those regular bend, bendy straws i was mainly talking about the golf balls and the Tennis oh, balls. The golf balls and the tennis balls can get pretty pretty spendy. Yeah, I actually got them off of. Uh, That's what sponsors are for, man. <laughs> I actually got them off of eBay. <laughs> I, I use uh, used golf balls and used tennis balls. There's a group uh, that sells used tennis balls on on eBay, and they they actually put I guess boxes at different tennis courts. So when you get through, or your tennis balls get old you actually put them in that box and the money goes to i don't know what cause but uh they actually sell used tennis balls so i buy i buy a box of tennis balls on ebay and uh huh. so i'll cut when i cut i usually cut you know 20 20 tennis balls 20 golf balls at a practice session and just get them to roll in a hand-eye coordination you know i change the angle that's where i get them off eBay, I get used golf balls. Of course, when we do a, a cut, I have an event, it's brand new tennis balls and brand new golf balls that we use at the event. But uh, I use used ones. How often do you practice? I try to practice once a week. Not always do I get to because of the family and other commitments. But um, I try to practice once a week while the, you know, kind of the season's going, get out and work on my hand eye. I also try to, to work out and actually, you know, work those muscle groups as I'm working out. The the battle ropes, you know, that's a that's a good thing to help increase strength and endurance, you know, while you're chopping. Those big chops, is that is that all coming from your arms and shoulder? Arms, shoulder, back, hip. I mean it's it's a it's a huge motion. So it yeah, there's a lot of lot of muscles and the way that I look at that, the bigger the muscle that you can get involved in that motion, the more power you have in that cut. 
So if I can get my stomach muscles involved, I'm going to be a champion. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's not your table muscles, Dan. (laughs) Hey, it's a muscle, dude. It'll work. (laughs) And I've been exercising that thing. You should see it. It's huge now. (laughs) Nice. So when you're you're cutting those, those golf balls and tennis balls, you said you do like, you do about 20 of them. Do you usually hit them every time or? Uh, at, at first, that was when I first started, that was the most challenging cut was the hand-eye coordination in the roll, you know, because uh, you pull a dial out from the PVC that's holding that and then it rolls. And of course, you see it as it comes out the bottom. So it's it's hand-eye coordination at at uh, at first. I missed both of them. I think in my uh, first competition I did, the training I don't think I hit a single tennis ball or golf ball was harmed at all in that training. So that is something that I actually worked on a lot. I think I missed one this past. I did. I missed uh, the tennis ball this past competition. You know, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just cut a two by four and you walk, you know, 10 feet as fast as you can with keeping both feet on the ground. And you pull this dial out and, you know, your breath and breathing. And so there's there's a lot going on other than just hand-eye. You just went from these big, powerful cuts to now you're trying to do a quick, precise. Right. I I can absolutely see where that would throw you off. Yeah. And you probably have to cut all the, all the way through it and not uh, like if you only get it part of the way through, you probably still have to swing with some. No, it has to be two pieces. So you have to swing with some power still. Yeah. Tennis ball has to be in two pieces, so you've got to hit it hard. But, I mean, it's still a hand-eye cut. The golf ball, you have to hit it and actually see the core. So you actually have to cut part of it off and see, you know, the core of the golf ball. Hmm. So that's that's a, that's a pretty hard hit, yeah. you know, to hit a golf ball and actually split it. So what's the, what's the most difficult cut for you now since you said the, the golf ball and tennis ball are kind of becoming a little easier for you? The the straws, the bendy straws, believe it or not, is the one of the most challenging cuts. It's a, um, I'll get it or I don't. It's probably the, the easiest and cheapest cut to practice. You know, you just buy a box of 100, but you've got to cut it from the very top to above the bend in the straw. So you actually have to just cut and you can't, you know, cut the top or you can't cut in the bend. And so you have a very small window on a the bendy section of that straw to cut. So it takes a very sharp knife and a very fast mm. cut through it. Very cool. And you know when you're walking you've got adrenaline going, you know you've had a you've cut a 2-inch rope and then you go to to that. Uh I actually this past competition I missed I missed both both straws there was two straws and i I cut them but i cut the top i didn't hit i did so i didn't get credit for cutting straws i missed both cuts Hmm. so i think that's the hardest and and i think most people probably would agree that it doesn't seem to be the hardest but that's the hardest definitely the coolest cut is the water bottles that that's the one that everybody looks looks at and that's the coolest cut you know cutting those 10, 10 water bottles and going through them. And is that the, it's obviously the coolest, but it sounds like it's not the most technically challenging. Um, it's, it's challenging. 
No, but I mean it's but it's it's a big velocity cut rather than the the really technical cut or am I mistaken? It's um you've got to be flat and a lot of it depends on the ground like we were on actual grass and so you've got to make sure you've got to cut between the top ridge of the bottle and the bottom there's a line on the bottom of that bottle that you got to cut between and so you've actually got to cut flat and it uh, it can be you know it can be a deceiving cut deceivingly hard i practice it i still practice it here at the house i practice all the cuts actually I practice it forehand and backhand, you know, just to try to save time. If I'm walking into the cut and I'm walking into it forehand, then I'll take the cut forehand. If I'm walking into it backhand, then I'll stop and take, you know, take the cut backhand. I'm trying to shave, you know, seconds off of my time. Right. So do you do you talk to like all your your friends and coworkers and stuff and say, give me all your water bottles to... <laughs> Fill them up so you don't have to yes, buy them yes. every time. You, you, you put out a uh, box and and save water bottles and refill them. That that's what you do. Ah, uh, that makes sense. So you don't have to buy them. It's a uh, that can that can definitely get it get expensive if you had to buy water bottles. But like I say, you, you try to go cheap and try to practice as much as you can. You know, so using the old golf balls and the old tennis balls and you know the used water bottles. Of course, it's Kind of hard to find used straws. Yeah, I would imagine of, <laughs> of all the the tennis balls, golf balls, etc., the straws are the most economical to find. Yes, they're really cheap to find. Mm-hmm. The ropes are that two inch rope is a, uh, I think around two fifty a foot. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it can be a very wow, very expensive cut, very expensive to to practice. Is the two inch the the biggest rope that it is is in the competition? It's the biggest rope because it looks like there's like a like a two inch and maybe a one inch. There's a two, a one, and a one and a half sometimes. Okay, like I say, you never know what you're going to get. You know, whoever designs the course, it's different every time. It could be a faster course or you know more powerful, heavy you know course on boards or you know more of a rope course. Are there any standards of it's always going to be this number of boards? It might be more, but it won't be less, or it'll always be this size of board? Um, or is it really just completely random? You don't know what you're going to get until you show up. Now, all the cuts that I've been to have have all started out with two-by-fours and all ended with two-by-fours. Hmm. So I would say that's pretty standard. You start with a two-by-four. And uh, when you first hit it, your time starts, and you have to cut through that two-by-four. And then when you cut through the, that last two-by-four, that stops it. All right. So all the competitions, you know, it's been a it's been a board um, to start it and end it. So I'd say, I would say that's standard. I haven't seen it any other way. But, of course, I've only been in this two years also, or starting my second year. There's always going to be boards. So And the women cut a one-by-fours. They cut a smaller board where the men cut two by fours. So far, what's been your favorite event? As as far as um, like event I've went to, yeah, which uh, event that you've competed in to to do a competition. You know, of of all the events you've competed in, what's been your your favorite so far? Oh, I would say World at Blade Show this past year. That was uh, they've all been awesome. 
Iron Mountain Metal Forge, the one that I just competed in in Bastrop, the Lost Pines Knife Show. I've done one at, at Jantz up in Davis, Oklahoma, Waxahachie. They've all been awesome shows. The Blade Show, you know, this past year it was it was raining and, you know, made it into the top 10 and I was able to go to Blade Show and compete in Worlds and, you know, it was kind of up in the air and they had the competition actually inside and uh, boards had been outside the whole time. And we're soaked and we're wet. You know, it was two by sixes. It was two by sixes to start the world championships. Wet, dense, two by six. Wet, dense, two by sixes. And uh, my first, my first hit, it was just like, boom, you know, and I going through two by six and five hits or six hits. Wow. And um, I'll have to count, but I think I was 15 or so with the wet wood but uh it was just gosh it was the people were around and cheering and hollering and that was just uh it was a surreal experience the wet wood grabbed your blade more did was it more prone to sticking actually the only time that my blade has ever stuck it stuck in that two by six and i pulled it out that was the only time that i've ever had a blade and i've seen other people's blade stick but the only time i've ever had one to stick was in that that wet two by six. You gonna leave some two by sixes out in the rainstorm and practice with that? Uh, you know, if I would have thought about it, I probably would have uh, before. But I, you know, I, I had no clue that that was even. You know, I'm so new at this. I had there was no clue that was even a possibility when we when I started and got it. Uh, somebody <laughs> left their blade lube at home. That's the problem. <laughs> so you know, so when I got to that wet two by six, I was just I was like, oh no, you know, just hit it and hit it hard and hit it a lot, you know. <laughs> you know, I find whenever I'm uncertain, just hit it hard and hit it a lot are two good pieces of advice. <laughs> Yeah. So if somebody wants to get started in blade sports, assuming they're 18, what's your advice? My advice is to go to the website, read about it, read about what it takes to become a certified cutter, then call somebody. Uh, People's numbers are on the website. Uh, You can email them, call somebody, talk to them, find an event that, uh, that there's going to be a training event. Um, if there's not a training event, find a competition, go watch a competition, then talk to somebody, see, you know, see where you might get certified if, uh, because they also do private, you know, they don't just certify at a school. Okay. Uh, sometimes that, you know, instructors can certify people, you know, one-on-one, you know, two or whatever. So it doesn't just have to be a school. So you can call or contact, email, just go to the website, bladesports.org. There's also a Facebook page. You can check out the events. You can see where uh, where stuff's happening. You can read about the rules. I would just encourage somebody to do that. Just learn everything you can about it. There's a lot to learn. The safety, the school, the certification school that I went to, it was like, I think we started at like 8 o'clock and went from 8 to 4 with a lunch break and they actually train you the form on how to cut the two by fours, how to safely do it, you know, where to put your, your feet go, 
you know, how to, to put the lanyard on, you know, they, they actually train you all the safety and the forms on how to do the cuts. So you're not just kind of hitting the board. So yeah, it's a, it's a full day of training. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Once once you come through the, the safety course, you know, the technique, you know, you at least got the basics beyond don't cut your fingers off. Yes. You have the basics and everybody has preached safety to keep that left hand behind you and uh, there's a lot of people there watching you and drilling that in. Uh, Gary Bond, Donovan, Chris Berry. You know, there's there's a lot of guys that's come before that has just drilled that in and and been real real helpful. You know, to to teach and to train. And uh, when I see something that I've never seen before, you know, I'll I'll call one of these guys up or I'll send them a, a message on Instagram or something. I'm like, hey. You know, I've never seen a cutting a rings off of a gallon water bottle or gallon milk jug, you know, any suggestions on how to do that? You know, where do I start? You know, and everybody's just super nice on where to start, how to do it. You know, everybody's very helpful. It's a, it's a family. That seems pretty consistent through the industry. Yeah, it is, it is definitely a family. Very cool. It's certainly one of the first things I noticed in the knife industry is how willing people are to help strangers that have got nothing to, they've got nothing to benefit. They're just helping you because they're good people. I've been amazed of how much of that seems to be in the knife industry. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy, crazy how people, you know, help and, you know, just, Hey, try this a little better. You know, you can cut through those 10 water bottles if you get on the level or, you know, and I'm like, really cool. Awesome. You know, you know, I, I'm one, I like to learn from other people's mistakes. I'm kind of like, um, I've listened to the TL's podcast and Kyle kind of likes to to work it out in his head and plan and then plan some more and then plan some more and then do it. That's kind of me. I like to work it out, ask, watch videos, how the people done it, ask them questions and then, then work on it, you know, be very calculative with it yeah i find i i learn more if i just i just jump right in find myself in the middle of a mess and look around and go well how am i going to get out of this (laughs) but you know everybody's got their own technique oh yeah they do i've gotten the engineer beat into me a little too much to just uh go in it without any any background you said you had a a blade show secret that you were uh gonna tell everybody on the podcast yeah, you're, you're a five-year Blade Show veteran. Oh, yeah, five-year Blade Show secret. So uh, the secret is there is a restaurant in Atlanta that chicken fries ribs. Ooh. And every Blade Show, I, th- I think uh, I think that's my wife loves to go to Blade Show with me, and I think it's for the chicken fried ribs. But every Blade Show, we go to Fox Brothers Barbecue. Uh and wait for an hour to an hour and a half for a table yep. and eat chicken fried ribs. So that is my, uh, that is my blade show secret there. Just, uh, every blade show make it there to, and I've never had anything bad from there. Of course I'm a big guy. I like food. So, um, my my secret had to be about food, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fox brothers has a phenomenal reputation. 
yeah the the first the first blade show that my wife and I went to uh we ended up we stayed there for a week made it our stayed a week in Atlanta and uh we went to Fox Brothers barbecue during the middle of the week so it was surprising we walked in there was nobody there they're like really all right we've heard a whole bunch about this place and the place is completely empty like on a Thursday uh, like five o'clock that is a magical magical moment <laughs> yeah it was yeah i i think i probably got about 30 dollars worth of barbecue just for myself and then i said what do you want <laughs> <laughs> fox brother uh fox brothers and fat mats are probably my two favorite barbecue joints in atlanta oh wow so it really <laughs> wasn't a secret then was it it was just a secret to me no, I mean, it was a secret, but the rest of us weren't telling anybody because, you know, it's already hard yeah. enough to get a seat there. So thanks right. a lot, man. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's out now. You know, the the waitress, the first year there, we sat at the bar. The bartender, you know, we ordered the food and sat at the bar. Only place, you know, it was standing room only in this joint. We sat at the bar and ate. And uh, we had no clue what to get. So we got the chicken fried ribs as an appetizer and we got the a combo plate or like a sampler platter or something they had to, and we shared it. The bartender's like, Hey, how was it? And I'm like, well, next year I ain't sharing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting my own plate. I'm not sharing next year. That It was, it was very good, very good food. And anywhere you go that has chili Mac and Frito chili pie as a side. Uh, I mean, that, that's just, yeah, and talk about taking. They take those Fritos, open them up, pour that chili in that bag. Yeah, man, talk about taking you back to a winter's football game. Uh, man, Frito pie, that used to fix everything that was wrong with me. Yeah, in Southern Indiana, we called that taco in a bag. Oh, that works too. Throw the nacho, cool nacho cheese, and the that. taco meat. If you were lucky, sometimes they throw some lettuce in there, but. Yeah. So uh, on to other barbecue, uh, you do some, some competition barbecue, I, we've heard. Yes. I, um, I actually, I had had the pleasure of working with a local competition barbecue team in a Sweet Cheeks Pit Barbecue out of Muscle Shoals, Alabama. They actually just won the World Food Championships Best Burger in Dallas this uh, weekend before last. It was amazing. So the picture of their burger is on a presentation block that I made for them. Oh wow! So I've I've got to work real close with them and make uh make presentations this this weekend. They were at the uh, Jack Daniels Invitational, and so I got to make a dessert presentation out of the top of a Jack Daniels whiskey barrel. Oh, cool! That they uh, took their their desserts and you know to the judge and tray because. Judging is about the taste of the food, the appearance of the food, and the presentation mm. of the food. So I've really got to work with them and also working with them on knife design, um, you know, for competition barbecue. So um, working with them on designing a knife that will do some specific things as far as um, Boston butts go. Hopefully we'll have that out. I don't know when I'm a hobby guy, so it's a, uh, it's not something, you know, that I'm, I'm looking at selling, but if you're a knife maker, it'll be at least three times longer than you thought it was going to be. 
<laughs> probably, probably, definitely something to work towards. But no, I've had the opportunity to work with them, and it's been great. It is, it has been great. So I've had a lot of people calling, wanting these little burger presentation blocks. I can't get too swamped down because I'm trying to do the knives now, but it, it's awesome just making these blocks for them. Very cool. And then winning the world championships with it. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah that's huge. That's a nice little gig too. Yeah. A few things you can kind of, kind of batch out, crank them out fairly easy. So if people want to see videos of you slicing and dicing and chopping. Yeah. And they're on my Instagram page. So you get Facebook and Instagram. I do. I have Facebook and Instagram. David Moore 505, hashtag David Moore 505 on Instagram and David Moore Knives or David Moore on Facebook. I've got all my videos there. I actually have a YouTube with my videos also. Oh, we'll have to make sure that's in the, the show notes with all the other the other things. And I, I do a lot of uh, practice cuts where I'll, you know, video... I'll set up the iPad and video, you know, chopping water bottles and different things and kind of just put that on there to let people see and try to advertise for Pops Knife Supply since they're my sponsor. Shameless plug. Yep. Shameless plugs are some of the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> you got to gotta get, make sure they see their uh, their benefit in there. Yes. And they've been great. Just to clarify, uh, Pops Knife Supplies. I uh, I get my belts from them. I get most of my abrasives from them because their their prices are just I can't beat them. They also carry a lot of handle material. Pretty much anything you need to make a knife, you can get it at Pops. Yes. Uh, just to clarify, that's Pops Knife Supply. Pops Knife Supply for all your knife making needs. Yeah, and they they just got some some new handle material in there. It's like red. Yeah, the new red fire or something. Oh, the red uh, fire dog. Yeah, the new fire. yeah the red canvas micarta, but it's a real coarse weave. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have the the Tiffany blue micarta too. Oh yeah, that's really cool. Did you get some of that? I did because um, it's close to infantry blue as well. Hmm. Not quite, but it's pretty close. So did you rename it for him? I haven't because it's. <laughs> I. It was one of those things that I knew no matter what it was going to sell, but in the pictures, it looked really close. But when I got it, it's a little off of infantry blue, Okay, but it definitely works. It's Tiffany blue works for Carolina blue. Yeah. I'm renaming it. I'm just not renaming it infantry blue yet. (laughs) Gotcha. Cool. We appreciate you coming on with us tonight, David. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. It's been a blast. Glad to, glad to know a little bit more about blade sports is something that I've been wanting to look into this haven't gotten around to it yet. I've got a kid in the shop that uh, is getting interested. He's got one more year before he can compete, but uh, he was really excited when I told him you were coming on. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. I'd be willing to help anybody I can just tell them to hit me up, message me on Instagram. Uh-huh. You know, I'd, I'd love to talk to him about blade sports and help him out. I absolutely will. He's uh we were back and forth cause he, uh, most of the really competitive, none of the really competitive guys are small guys, but he's a, a little wiry kid, but he spent a lot of time, I guess he studied Kali for about 10 years. So he's really quick and really precise. Oh, wow. He's He's got some interesting technique. He may lose a few strokes powering through some of the boards, but I've been really impressed with how precise he can make cuts. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see if a little guy can compete. Oh, yeah, little guys can definitely compete. 
They, uh, it's not just, you see the big guys on a lot of the videos, you know, cause that's, that's a cool, cool thing and stuff. But, uh, you know, there's some guys that are, that are smaller that definitely, definitely can compete and have been world champions, definitely been world champions. So yeah, it's, it's not just a big guy sport. That's for sure. All right. Well, you can uh, stay in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. Yeah, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Tuned In Radio. And if there's one of those that you like to use that we're not on, please let us know. And if you can leave us a, a rating and a review, that'd be greatly appreciated, too. I've heard that helps with us being found by other people listening to podcasts. And you can get a hold of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And he's on Facebook and Instagram, and you can get in touch with him via email at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And you can find me at cagedailyknives.com and on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And my email address is kyle at cagedailyknives and kyle at knifeperspective.com. Wraps up uh, with a lot of the administrative things. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed the podcast, and it was a great one. Thanks, Thanks for being on, David. Appreciate it, guys. Thank y'all much. Thank you very much, David. It's been an honor. All right. Say goodnight, Dan. Goodnight, Dan. <laughs> well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about our things now, because that's what's expected. It's the